the glory of God uh, will last forever. But tonight we're going to look into the first three verses of 1 Peter chapter 2 and look what the Lord has given uh, us in that passage. Uh, so the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter, one, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Let us pray. And Father God, thank you for today and the opportunity to be here uh, in your house tonight. And I thank you for the opportunity to preach. And I pray that um, you help me to say nothing more, nothing less than what you'd have me to say. And I pray that you would use your word tonight, Lord, and uh, work in the hearts of these individuals tonight. In your name I pray. Amen. We can see here in this passage that Peter is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that uh, we should be laying aside all malice and guile. And uh, the best uh, to best understand exactly what we are being commanded to lay aside, we should look at the definitions of those two words, of malice and guile. Now, I'm sure most of you um, already know what that means, but I'm homeschooled, so I had to look them up. Uh, but we're going to look into the definitions uh, of those. The word malice has the definition of desire to cause pain, injury, or distress to another. And the word guile has the definition of deceitful or cunning. Uh, and those, along with hypocrisies and envies and evil speakings, all should be laid aside by Christians. Uh, which leads me right to point number one tonight, the setting aside in verse one. Uh, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and guile and hypocrisies and envies and evil speakings. In verse one, there's a list of things that we as Christians are commanded to lay aside. Uh, so... I've somewhat divided these things into two different categories. Uh, these categories are uh, hate and evil speaking. So the first two things uh, re related to hate that we are commanded to set aside, which brings me to letter A, setting aside hate. We see that we are commanded to lay aside malice and guile, and we've already defined those two terms here tonight, so we're not going to define them again. But both of those terms are, uh, have some relation to hating or being mean to others. Uh, first, let's look, aside at let's look at laying aside malice. So we saw that malice is the desire to cause someone pain uh, or trouble. And we as Christians should never have that desire to cause anyone else pain, trouble, or distress. Uh, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 through 32, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you, and all malice, and be ye kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. We can clearly see in those two verses that we are commanded to put away wrath, anger, and malice, and all um, those things and then to replace them with being kind to one another. As we as Christians, as Christ-like ones, uh, should be kind to one another. As we went over uh, the last uh, time in this series, we are commanded to love each other fervently. Uh, in my own experience, I can say that there are times when Christians can be some of the most mean and hateful, hateful people there are. This should not be so. Uh, we are to be following the example that Christ has left for us while he was on this earth. And he was kind to others and showed love and showed mercy. And, but why, it is, uh, why is it that we decide to act this way toward others and treat them poorly or be mean to others? Oftentimes, uh, we start being mean or nasty to someone because they wronged us in some way or uh, some way uh, in time. 
Uh, and rather than uh, forgiving that individual and moving on from that sin and forgetting it, we hold on to it. And we let that turn into bitterness. And then it turns into us being nasty toward them uh, regarding that. This is the opposite of how we are commanded to deal with situations of when people do wrong towards us. We, saw, we just saw in Ephesians 4.29 that we need to be forgiving others uh, as Christ has forgiven us. Every single one of us in this room, uh, even including myself, are sinners. And therefore, uh, have sinned against the Lord in our lives. And yet, despite, of, despite all of the many, many sins that each one of us have committed in our lives against the Lord, uh, he still loves us and forgives us, forgives us of all of these. Uh, his love and his forgiveness are unending, and they are constant, just like ours should be. Um, we, are, we should be putting away the hate and bitterness that is in our life and replace that with love and forgiveness. Uh, the Bible speaks on the topics of hate and bitterness. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 44, You have heard it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, and do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Uh, this passage showed uh, Jesus Christ speaking to his disciples and telling them that they've heard in the past uh, from man's teaching that they should love them that love them, do good to those that do good to them, um, but then they, they should hate their enemies. Uh, that still sounds a lot like the mentality that the world has today. Uh, but then Jesus turns that entire mentality around on its head and by telling them that they should not only stop hating their enemies, but that they should begin to love their enemies instead. Oftentimes, we too begin to only love those that love us first. Um, and this is a complete contrast to the love of God, as we saw last time. Um, God was the one who loved us first, not the other way around. If God only loved those who loved him first, um, he would not be loving very many people at all, because he loved us first. Um, are we... Um, decide to hate those who wronged us or those um, that don't treat us the best or maybe even people who we just don't like. Um, when Christ was being uh, crucified there on the cross, he said, um, he prayed to the Father and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He loved them and wanted to forgive those who were crucifying him right there. That shows his love. That shows his mercy. That shows his forgiveness. And that shows the love and forgiveness we should strive to emulate in our lives. But we should not only love our friends, we should be also loving our enemies and blessing those who curse us, doing good to those who hate us, and praying for them that use or persecute us. How often do we actually go uh, out of our way to show loving kindness to someone who is being rude or meanful or hateful to us? And I can say this um, from my life personally as well, that's not nearly as often as it should be. Um, when we go out of our way to be a blessing and to do good to those who curse and hate us, we are directly showing them the love of Christ, and we should be praying for them as well. Yes, now, if you're anything like me, um, you can take this commandment uh, to pray for them. Uh, when someone um, uh, eats some of your 98 cents of cents a loaf of bread you got at Walmart, uh, you can pray that the Lord would curse them with the fleas of a thousand camels. Uh, one time at college, actually, I so at college, we the whole dorm shares one fridge, um, and I had my gallon of milk in there. And I was that guy who like got the Sharpie and drew a little line where I left it off at to make sure no one took any. And I went there to get my morning glass of milk, and I saw that someone had drank some of it. And I picked it up, I stared at it, and I verbally said, Lord, please, wh whoever took some of my milk, curse them with the fleas of a thousand camels. <laughs> that was not very nice of me, but that was, that was a true story. Anyway. Um, 
So instead of praying something, something bad would happen to them or some, that harm would come their way, we should be praying for the Lord to help them and help them to uh, grow in him or to come to know him as their savior if they have not. Um, the Bible says uh, in Proverbs 25, 21-22, If thine enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat, and if he be thirsty, give him water to drink. For thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head, and the Lord shall award thee. We see in, that, uh, in those verses that we should be caring for our enemies by doing good. Um, but, and by doing so, we uh, will be heaping coals of fire on their head, and the Lord will reward this. This is because um, being mean to those who are mean to you only makes them more mean, and then makes you more mean in retaliation back to that, and starts a big cycle of nastiness. But if you show the love of Christ, that is responding the way that the Lord would, um, and by being Christ-like. Uh, we saw that we should be uh, setting aside hate, but moving on to lighter B, uh, laying aside evil speaking. Um, we also see here toward the end of verse 1 that we should be laying aside envies and evil speakings. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.29, um, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. We as Christians should not be guilty of evil speaking, so we should be letting no corrupt communication proceed out of our mouths. Um, but that is used to edifying, uh, which, would be me which would be meaning helpful or encouraging. My friends, I fear uh, that more often than we would like to admit, our mouths are full of hateful and evil speakings, and sometimes we tear others down more than we do encourage them. Oftentimes, we, uh, when there are people who have wronged us uh, first or say something that, to us that we don't like, Rather than responding in love and forgiveness, we respond with uh, meanness and nastiness that would match theirs, uh, which is not how Christ would respond to those situations. And we should not, we should, uh, not be content to just sit there and tear others down and make them feel uh, very discouraged when we are acting the same way by not showing love of Christ. There are people that all of us work with and socialize with every single day, and uh, they know that we are Christians. And if they know that we are Christians, they know uh, how we should be living our lives as Christians, and they are watching to see if we are truly living like Christ. Uh, we are just acting and speaking just as the world does, and we're not showing Christ at all. We are showing that we are just as the world is. This should not be how we act. Everything that we do and say should in some way point others to Christ. We should be putting aside hateful and evil speaking. And we see number one today, the setting aside. Moving on to number two, the sincere desire in verse two. And the Bible reads, uh, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. And we can see in this verse that we are commanded to have a, a desire for the milk of the word. Now, why would the word of God in this passage be referred to as milk? Well, just as a small baby needs milk to be able to grow and mature and become tall and strong like myself, um, without this milk, the baby would not be able to grow and develop as needed. Uh, I wouldn't be able to survive at all. And this is an exact picture of how the word of God should be in the life of a believer. Just as a baby needs uh, that milk so it can grow and develop, a Christian needs the word of God so they can grow in the Lord. A Christian uh, is not going to be able to grow as they should be, if at all, when they are not taking in the word of God. Uh, even, we even see toward the end of verse 1 that they should be, desire, should be desiring the word of God so that they, so that they can grow by it. Uh, which brings me to letter A, a sincere desire for the word. 
As Christians, we should be having a true and serious desire for the Word of God. My friends, Sunday mornings, uh, Sunday nights and Wednesday nights, should not be the only uh, time during the week that we read our Bibles. We should be studying and reading our Bibles every single day. Uh, we all come to church three times a week, and we hear the Word of God preached from this pulpit. And being that this is a Wednesday night crowd, and I know that many, if not all of you, uh, have that desire to be here in, ch- in church and to hear the Word preached during those times, um, but how many of us, outside of hearing the, the word preached here in this pulpit, have a genuine and real desire, a craving for the word of God? We see it compared to the milk that a baby has, but let us compare it to the food we eat every day as adults. Uh, all of us eat food every day. We all eat this food to fuel our bodies and help us get through the day. Um, this, and this is why, typically, it's not healthy to go... Ex- extended periods of time without eating. It is because then our body is deprived of the fuel and energy that it so desperately needs to get through our day. This same thing with our spiritual lives. If we deprive ourselves of the word of God, um, the fuel for our walk with God and for our lives, um, we are not going to, um, goodness, we are going to not, I cannot spell it all, I'm sorry. We are going to not, to uh, not be at a point that we should be. We'll be lacking the spiritual nourishment that we so desperately need for our lives. Just as we should not um, deprive a little baby of the milk that it needs, as without it, the baby would not have what it needs to grow and mature, and it would would, um, not even survive in some cases. We should not be depriving ourselves of the word of God, which we need so that we can survive and grow as the Lord would have us to. We should have a time set each day uh, where we stop and read the Bible and what God has for us to get out of it. And our desire for reading the Word of God should not come from uh, the act of simply checking off a box on our to-do list, uh, but that we should be able to grow spiritually uh, every single day in the Lord. Um, the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction, and righteousness. And in Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And finally, in uh, Psalm 119, 101 through 105, I have refrained my feet from every evil way, that I might keep thy word. I have not departed from thy judgment, for thou hast taught me how sweet are thy words unto my, unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Um, through my precepts I get understanding, uh, therefore I hate every false way. The word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Uh, these uh, three passages show us very clearly that the word of God is very crucial to our lives, and that it should be sweeter to us than honey. Um, though, for those reasons, uh, we should have that desire for the word of God, for it to help uh, bring the health and profit, it, as it's helpful and profitable for our lives. We should have the desire to read the word of God and allow the uh, Lord to use it to work in our lives and help us to uh, help shape us uh, to be more like his son. Which brings me right to letter B, the sincere desire for growth. So toward the end of this passage, or uh, that verse there, we can see uh, why we should have that sincere desire for the word of God. As Christians, we are not going to be growing in the Lord and in our relationship with the Lord unless we are reading his word every single day. Uh, we should never be content to just stay where we are in a relationship with God. If we ever get to a point like that, it is an incredibly dangerous thing. Uh, we should always have a desire to be growing in our walk with God and closer to him every single day. Um, 
none of us will ever be perfect uh, or ever be sinless or ever um, be as spiritually mature as we possibly can be. Uh, and this is the very reason that we should constantly be pressing forward to becoming more like Christ. Um, we do not um, need the opinions or advice of man nearly as much as we need what is found here in the word of God. Um, it is only by the word of God that um, is going to help us uh, grow closer to the Lord. It is still incredibly important for the believer to attend church and hear the word being preached from the pulpit. Uh, hearing the word preached is, uh, in this situation is um, a way that the Lord will work uh, in my life and in your life. Uh, God uses his word, um, whether it's being preached um, by the pulpit or being read and studied at home, um, to convict man of their sin and to show changes that need to be made in their lives. And while we saw uh, earlier in the book of 1 Peter, the Holy Spirit does work in the heart of the believer to convict them um, of sin, but their progress is going to be much, much, much slower without the word of God. The Bible says in 1 John 2, 6, He that saith, he abideth uh, in him, in Christ, ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. If we are in Christ, we should be walking even as he walked. This means that uh, as ones who are in Christ, so those who are Christians, uh, should be walking as Christ walked. This means that we should be seeking to live as he lived while he was here on earth. And how would an individual know how Christ lived and how he walked without reading the word of God. Um, they certainly would not be able to find that out through the conviction of the Holy Spirit alone. Um, the only way an individual can see how Christ lives his life here on earth and then follow the example that he left is by reading out the word of God. Um, and then once the individual sees how Christ lived his life, they can then um, see how that can be emulated in their own lives. But none of that would be able to take place if the scriptures are not being read and studied personally by that individual. Uh, this shows the significance and the importance of reading the word of God. And then once the individual studies the word of God and finds how the Bible shows how Christ lived his life and while he was, while he was here on earth, that information can then be applied to the life of the individual. Um, um, and they can um, strive to become more like Christ. So far, we have seen the setting aside, the sincere desire. Moving on to number three, we see the steady grace in verse three. Uh, if so, be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. In this verse, we see one thing that is apparently obvious here, and that the Lord is gracious. I think uh, that everyone here in this room would agree that our God is a very gracious God. Um, he loves us more than we could ever imagine or deserve, and he uh, blesses us more than we could ever deserve. Our God is a loving and gracious God, which brings me to letter A, a steady, the steady grace of God. God's grace is constant. It is always there and always available to us. And this grace can be seen through all the scriptures, and the best example of his grace uh, is seen here in Ephesians 2, uh, verses 8 through 9, uh, when, the, when the Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. This shows us that our salvation is only provided by the grace of God. It is nothing that we have done or nothing that we can do to earn it. It is only the grace of God. Well, it's important for us to understand ultimately what the word grace here means. Uh, the best definition of grace that I've heard is defining it as unmerited favor. Uh, grace is not something that, it, that is earned. It is a gift. Despite the fact that um, all of us are incredibly unworthy of God's grace, he shows it to us anyway. Uh, 
uh, we must be careful to uh, careful that we do not make the mistake of thinking that we have to earn the grace of God. Uh, if we had to work for and earn it, it would no longer be grace as it would no longer be a gift. Um, so I have a job, as many of you do, and I get paid for the work that I do. And is that paycheck that I get every week a gift? No, because I earned it, because I work for it. Um, that That is what I deserve. However, every year for my birthday, my parents get me uh, a birthday gift. And unlike my paycheck, that is not something that I work for or I've earned. That is a free gift, just like salvation is. In the same way, if we have to work for grace, it is no longer grace. And we see for and we see in Ephesians 2.8, we are saved by grace, not of ourselves. It is not of works. Nothing that we can do will make God love us any more than he already does or make him forgive us any more than he already has. He has forgiven all of our sins, past, present, and future. Nothing will change that. Um, he loves us more um, than our finite human minds could ever begin to understand. And his word shows us that our sins are separated as far, as, as far from us as the east is from the west. They're completely disassociated from us. He no longer remembers those. While we should be striving to be more like Christ and to uh, grow to be more like him, we should not be doing it with the intentions to earn God's grace or to earn his love. How? How we make ourselves appear uh, on the outside or through the traditions of man do not help us be better in God's eyes or make him love us anymore. He loves us, all of his children the same, and strives to use all of us the same uh, for his plan, for his glory. However, on the same note, it's important to remember that grace is not a free ticket to sin as much as we please. Um, in fact, it's quite the opposite. Um, we all look at Romans 6, 1, see that we should uh, not continue in sin so that grace can abound. Um, but we can get more emphasis and clarity on this when we look into the verse's context, which shows us why context is important while studying the scriptures. Um, so if you want to turn your Bibles to Romans, to the end of Romans chapter 5, we're going to be there looking into that. Um, Romans chapter 5, verse 19, right before chapter 6, the um, Bible says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of uh, one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might might abound, but when but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, that as sin hath reigned unto death, and even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. And now if we turn right over to the beginning of chapter 6, uh, we see in ver the first four verses, what, then sh what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any, long live any longer therein? Know ye not that uh, so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, uh, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism unto death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we, are, uh, also, we also should walk in newness of life. We saw in that passage that uh, by one man's disobedience, so by Adam and Eve's sin, by the sin of Adam, we are all made sinners. And the law then uh, showed and emphasized the sin of man, as man is unable to keep the law. If man sinned and broke one area of the law, he is guilty of all. Um, there is none that are perfect. Um, there's none righteous, no, not one. And because of that sin, the grace of God much more abounded. But now, uh, Paul is answering the question, if man should continue in their sins, that the grace of God can abound farther. And Paul's answer is simply, God forbid. And while we often leave the explanation uh, there, uh, we, 
we can see that Paul does not, that Paul does in fact show us why we should not continue in our sin. We see looking into the, into, uh, the following two verses, in verses 3 and 4 of Romans chapter 6, that we are buried with Christ by baptism into death, that we, and that we, being in Christ, should be walking in newness of life, meaning uh, we, should not be, we should be living our lives apart from our past lives of sin. While we can do nothing to earn God's grace or to make him love us any more than he already does, we should not be continuing in sin and using his grace as an, as an excuse for it. Um, his grace is what allows us to live for him and to live in newness of life. Uh, he frees us from the bondage of sin. So why would we continue back? Why would we go back and continue in sin? So we saw the steady grace of God. Moving on to letter B, we see the steady grace of Christians. Uh, just as our God is loving and shows unconditional grace, uh, we should also be loving and showing unconditional grace to those who are around us. Oftentimes, we can become prideful and look down at others, criticizing them, rather than being loving and showing grace, which is not very Christ-like. Uh, we are supposed to um, be like the Lord and walk as Christ walked, and when He wa- and He walked, showing grace to others and forgiving them of their sins. And the thing is, He is perfect. Christ never has sinned and never will sin. Um, He is pure and holy God, yet he was willing to show grace and forgive a bunch of filthy sinners on earth. Yet we, who are very much sinners, refuse to show such grace and forgiveness to others. We have all uh, been forgiven of so, so much, so, so many sins, and the Lord still loves and forgives us and shows us uh, new grace every single day of our lives. Yet when someone cuts us off in the hallway, we get mad and refuse to show them grace. When we have uh, all been forgiven of so much, it is important to remember that uh, when we are given the opportunity to uh, show grace or not to show grace, we need to be uh, showing others grace. Grace. While we are to be Christ-like ones and therefore be acting as Christ acts, showing love and uh, showing grace, he came to this earth to die uh, for all sinful man, and we struggle to show grace to even one person on one occasion. We should, really much, we should be showing much more grace than that. But we might be thinking to ourselves, but Tyler, they don't deserve my grace. They did fill in the blank. And that's the point. Grace is undeserved. I don't deserve God's grace. None of us deserve the grace of God. Um, And if you did deserve the grace of God, you wouldn't need his grace. Um, Just as God shows us grace and we don't deserve it, um, we should be showing um, others others the same grace that he showed toward us when we feel that they do not deserve it. Um, There are times when others make us upset or when they sin against us, we don't want to show them grace. Or maybe they do the same thing over and over to us. We can think in our lives, um, how many times have we committed the same sin toward God over and over and over again? We still struggle every single day, and we pray and we ask God to help us with that. But in our human flesh and human nature, we still struggle with that sin. Even the Apostle Paul had that um, thorn in his flesh. And we don't know what, exactly what that is, but it could have been a, a sin he struggled with in his life. It's a possibility. I know for certain in my life there are sins I struggle with, and yet God forgives us every single day. So when someone repeatedly offends us, uh, we should be, still be showing grace and forgiving them just as God forgives us. So to conclude tonight, uh, we see, um, uh, we saw the setting uh, aside in verse 1. 
Uh, we saw that we should be setting aside hate. We should be loving others as Christ loves us. We saw that we should be setting aside uh, evil speaking. We should not be living our lives when we are um, speaking evil toward others or living uh, how we are discouraging them rather than encouraging them. And we saw the sincere desire. Uh, we should be having a sincere desire for the word of God. How we should not have our only times in the word of God being here at church, but also be in our own personal lives. And the desire for growth. We should all be desiring to uh, gain from the word of God and uh, growing in the Lord and becoming more like Christ, finding the example that he has given us in his word. We saw uh, the steady grace. We saw the, the steady grace of God and how he shows us grace and how we should be emulating the same grace as Christians. Uh, if you would stand to your feet tonight, please, with every head bowed and every eyes closed, we're going to move into a uh, quick time of invitation tonight. Uh, perhaps God is speaking to you about setting aside hate and evil speaking in your life, or maybe having a uh, sincere desire for his word and for uh, the growth that it brings, um, or maybe uh, about trusting in, God, uh, in God's never-ending grace and striving to uh, show that same grace to others. Maybe there's even someone in this room tonight who has not yet accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. If that is the case, I would encourage you in just a moment to uh, get my attention. We would love to show you from the Word of God how you can know Jesus Christ uh, as your Savior. I'm going to pray, and then uh, music is going to begin to play. Um, and I would encourage you to uh, do business with the Lord tonight. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for tonight and the opportunity that you gave me to preach, Lord. I pray that you would... Um, uh, working hearts of individuals tonight, Lord, and that your will be, will be done. And thank you for everything done for us tonight. You're going to pray. Amen. Well, um, now we're going to move into our time of prayer meeting tonight. So you all may be seated, and we're going to move into our prayer meeting time tonight.